Well, let me just, again, welcome those of you who are new to fellowship. Welcome. We're just glad you're here and hope that you have already been encouraged uh, by being here and by being a part of our service and that you've been welcomed and uh, received. Uh, It is uh, really, uh, truly our blessing uh, to have you, and we hope and pray that God will continue to minister to you, even as we now move into uh, the time of preaching God's word, which is, again, an important part of our gathering. Uh, we, uh, we believe that this is something God calls us to do, and uh, we also believe that as we do that in faith, that God works and moves, and we trust that his word will speak to you, each one of you that are here today, that he will speak to And so I'm going to continue a series that I started uh, last week uh, called Ruined, a biblical understanding of sin. What we're trying to do is understand uh, this this very important concept um, biblically. We we talk about it a lot. We mention it a lot. But a lot of times I don't know that we're always all talking about the same thing when we say sin. And so we want to understand this biblically. And so if you were not here last week as I started, I really want to encourage you to listen to that, that last week's uh, message, because it kind of opens up uh, the whole series, and I think it'll help you understand kind of where, where we're going. But today, as we look at, as we continue, uh, we're going to be looking at indwelling sin indwelling sin. What is indwelling sin? How does it affect us? And, uh, and then learn uh, also how we can respond appropriately. One of, one of the reasons we're talking about sin in, in, in this series right now at this present time is because there are so many uh, cultural ideas related to sin that are just not biblical. And and so I think one of them that we're going to address today is, is the fact that we may be wrongly convinced that, that sin is, is mainly out there. And, and what happens is it makes it very easy for us to, uh, for the sin in here to, to not be dealt with, to be left unattended, because we really got to worry about what's out there. And when I was thinking about this, uh, for some reason, uh, I, you know, you'll have to stay with me on, I guess, on how my mind works, but it made me think of uh, the original Spider-Man movies, which you're probably going, that's not what I would think of, um, with uh, Tobey Maguire, you know, the, the, the OG ones. And uh, in that series of movies in Spider-Man 3, uh, Peter Parker gets some black goo on him, you know, like that sticky stuff. And, and eventually this, this goo, it takes over and, and it brings out the worst in, in Peter Parker. And later in the movie, we find out that it's a, uh, it's a symbiote, a, a parasitic alien life form. And, and it, needs a, it needs to bond to a host to survive. And then this particular one, it seems to feed on, on the negative emotions of its host. And it brings out the worst uh, of, of that particular host. In this case, that was Peter Parker. And eventually, as you can see in that image, he, he turns into, it t- kind of takes over and it turns into, into black Spider-Man. And I, and I think it's safe to say that, that we think of sin in this way many times. We, we just have to walk through life and we have to keep the black goo of the world off of us. 
And if we do that, we'll be fine. That's just what we got to do. We just, it's all out there. We just got to keep it off of us. And I think what we're going to learn today is that our greatest concern when it comes to sin is, is not necessarily out there. It's in here for all of us, in all of us. And, and, and the question isn't really whether or not you're affected. So if you're here today and you're saying, well, I'm not really sure, Pastor, that I am, you know, that's the case for me. I can, I can tell you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of Scripture, that you are. We're all included in this. And so uh, I think it's not so much whether that's the case. It is the case. Instead, our concern really needs to be, what are we doing about it? How are, how are we responding to that? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to see what indwelling sin is. We're going to see how it's described biblically. We're going we're to see what its nature is. We're, we're going to see how it, affect, how it affects us. And then we're going to look at how we need to respond to it biblically, in a biblical way, because that is what our desire is. So let's pray. Would you pray with me as we ask God to, to lead us and to guide us? Lord God, that is what we ask, that you would lead and guide me in the preaching and teaching of your word, and that you would lead and guide your people in the receiving of the word. Um, May we have ears to hear. May we have a mind that is open and hearts that are opened, especially, Lord, as we talk about something so sensitive as indwelling sin, we will need our hearts to be opened by by your spirit to receive uh, these truths. Lord, help us to respond to you. Help us to be the kind of believers that so desire to understand these things biblically, not, not culturally, but, but in the way that you have revealed. Help us to do that, Lord. Lead and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. So in order to understand indwelling sin, I, uh, we're gonna start talking about some, I wanna start by talking about some important biblical doctrines of, of sin um, that we, again, are kind of building blocks for us to understand what sin is. That's what we're doing. What I'm doing is laying foundation down that we'll build on top of, but we need to have those, those blocks down and they need to be solid for us to continue to build on them. And so one of those is original sin original sin. And and put simply, original sin refers to humanity's sinful spiritual condition before God because of Adam's sin. So, So original sin does not refer specifically to Adam's sin. It's not specifically the sin of Adam in the garden. It it really is a reference to the condition, the sinful condition of humanity, of all of us as a result of what it is that Adam did. And I know you're you're thinking, well, Eve sinned too, but the way that sin is passed is, is actually through Adam to all of humanity is what the scripture teaches. And I want to look at Romans 5. We're going to start there. We'll be in a couple different places. We'll eventually really settle in Romans 7. But let's look at Romans 5, which is a primary text on this topic. And it'll also be on the screen for you to see. Romans 5 verse 12. Again, the apostle 
uh, Paul writing this uh, letter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So that one man is referenced to Adam. So sin comes into the world through Adam and death comes into the world through sin. That's what Romans 5.12 is saying. And then death spread to all men because all have sinned because sin has now affected all of humanity. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And Paul continues to explain that in, in Romans 5. But this text is explaining what we understand as original sin. Original sin is really the moral corruption that we all possess as a consequence of Adam's sin. It's resulted in something in each one of us. And that is a sinful disposition. And, and if you don't like that word, it could be, it could be inclination. You know, but, but something sinful that, that, we're, that we have a disposition towards or an inclination towards in all of us. And that sinful inclination, it manifests itself in us as sinful behaviors, actions, thoughts, desires. I mean, really, original sin is why we sin. It's why we all sin. And that, and that leads to another important doctrine or another important building block of understanding sin that we need to know uh, and, under, and understand also to understand it biblically, and that is total depravity. What does it mean that we're totally depraved, that we are depraved? I have Ephesians 2, 1 there on the screen for you to see. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, right? And that, that's, that's a condition. That's referring back to what Paul talked about also in Romans 5. And it means that because of original sin, all of our human faculties have been corrupted by sin. When we understand what it means that we're totally depraved, we need to understand that it means that every part of us has been corrupted by sin. There isn't a part of us that somehow escaped it. There isn't a part of our mind or our heart or, or, or our body where we can say, well, that one kind of escaped it. No, all of, our, all of our human faculties have been corrupted by sin. Now, totally depraved does not mean that we are all as sinful as we could possibly be. It doesn't mean that because of God's restraining grace. Thank God for God's restraining grace because this would be an awful, awful place to be if that was removed and sinful humanity was able to be as sinful as they possibly could be. But what depravity is talking about is that all of our faculties have been corrupted by sin. And the second thing it refers to that I want to mention is the spiritual inability of all humans to do anything about the fact that we have a sinful spiritual condition. In other words, without God intervening because we're dead in sin and all of our human faculties have been corrupted by sin because of the sin passed down by Adam, none of us can do anything about it. We need God's help. We need God's grace. We need God to step in. We need God to save us. And in the spirit of God, in, in, in the way that God works is the one that overcomes this uh, depravity when he regenerates and, 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 and helps us 
uh, to see the truth of the gospel and, and respond. So now that we have, and again, I'm not, I, I know for those of you who, who are really theologically minded, you're like, you know, you need to spend the rest of the time just on like one of those. I, I can't do that. So I know I'm laying this down very basically, but I want to move on now to indwelling sin to understand now how we're continuing to build on this. It is because of original sin that we all have this affliction of indwelling sin. And let's read the scripture that deals most directly with this. That's Romans 7. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Romans 7, I'm gonna read actually a large portion of this chapter so that we can get it in context. And it'll also be on the screen and you'll be able to follow along with me. And as I read this, many of you are familiar with it. If you're unfamiliar with it and you're listening to it being read and you're going, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, that's a normal actual response to what Paul writes here because it, it, is, it does need explanation. So let's start at verse seven, Romans seven. What, shall we say, uh, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, it would not have known sin. So, so what Paul's doing is he's saying the law is actually how, how we came to know sin. For I would not have known that it, what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So what that means is, is you set up a law and what's the first thing that people who have a sinful disposition, a sinful inclination, who has sin has been passed down to, what are the first thing that people like that do? They seek ways to disobey that law. And that's what he's saying. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. We talked about that a little bit last week. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. There it is again, sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. 
So what I want to do now is, is break this, this down to help us understand specifically indwelling sin. And so I want to understand the nature of indwelling sin. And I broke it into four parts so that we could take it in chunks and hopefully understand it better. First part, the propensity to sin and to rebel against God dwells within us. It's in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies. Paul referred to this propensity to sin, this inclination to sin that is in all of us as a law. He, he, he uses the word law a lot here, and you'd have to really go through the text uh, carefully to understand how he's using it and in what context each time he mentions it. But, but he is talking generally about this law of sin is related to the fact that we have this propensity, this inclination in all of us to rebel against the law, to sin. Notice again, verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but what? Sin that dwells within me. Verse 20. If I do, not, if I, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul is saying, when I do not do the good I want to do, and instead I do the evil I don't want to do, he's saying it's not me doing it, it's the indwelling sin in me. It's the sin in me, which of course is him or part of him. It's kind of hard to separate, but he's trying to make a point. The ESV translates it again as sin that dwells within me indwelling sin. And this problem of indwelling sin is in all of Adam's descendants. That's all of us. And it even applies to believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. How so? Well, indwelling sin is not a person. Don't, don't look at it like another person. It's a, it's a, it's a propensity, uh, an inclination, again, towards sin and towards rebellion against God. And as a result, of our nature to sin, our sin nature. And again, it's in all of us. Another important distinction that we need to make, and we're gonna flesh this out a little bit more in the, in the future, in a, in a couple weeks, is indwelling sin is not Satan. Do not equate it with Satan. Satan is not indwelling sin. Satan is not in the believer. He can't be. Neither, neither can his, his, his demons, the, a, a believer that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. However, Satan and his forces can appeal to this indwelling inclination in all of us to sin and rebel, and he does. And again, more on that in weeks to come as we look more into that. So we have to just understand as we're breaking down this, this indwelling sin, the nature of it, it is the propensity to sin and rebel against God. It's within us, our hearts, our minds, our bodies. Second, indwelling sin creates spiritual battles and conflicts within us. Spiritual battles and conflict within us. This is what Paul is describing right? He's, he's describing, he's trying to tell you his internal conflict of good versus evil. He's trying to let you in his mind, in his heart. When you know the good that you should do and you don't, and you do not do it. And instead you do the very thing that you don't want to do. 
if you've ever experienced that, and that's all of us, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but it is all of us, all of us have experienced that, this is the spiritual conflict that he is talking about within him. It is this inclination towards sin that is in us, that is creating this conflict with the new nature, the spirit of God in us. And Paul is explaining this conflict. John Newton, who is the author of Amazing Grace, he he wrote and, and quoted this, my heart is like a country, but half subdued, where all things are in an unsettled state and mutinies and insurrections are daily happening. Do you, do you feel that way about your own heart? Like, you know, you get up in the morning, you feel pretty good, and all of a sudden something rises up in your heart, and it's an insurrection. You've got you've to subdue that, right? And then over here, something else, and then over here, something else, and you're going, what's going on? And, and this is what he's talking about. It's indwelling sin that, that is in us, that is causing this, this, this nature that just wants to rebel. And that's what John Newton is also speaking of there. Third, as we continue to put the parts together, indwelling sin is recognized through the reality of this internal spiritual conflict. It's recognized. So, so what, what, and I, I'm going to explain uh, this. What's Paul doing here? He is sharing his personal experience with us, isn't he? He's telling us what he himself has experienced. In fact, the way Paul writes it is he said, I have found a law at work. He found something. He found a law at work. But how did he find that law? Did, he, he didn't learn about this law of sin at law school. You know, he didn't learn it at Pharisee school. He didn't learn it at, at you know, the apostles seminary in, in uh, Jerusalem or something. No, he, he found this to be true. How? He found it in himself. He had this internal spiritual conflict. He knew it was a real thing because he was experiencing it himself. And he tried to write about it and tell about it to us uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to do the right thing. And sometimes he did not do it. Sometimes he did the very thing he didn't want to do. He knows what this indwelling sin problem is. And he's explaining it to us by telling us what he himself has gone through. Now, I need to kind of pause there and then ask a question that takes us back to Romans 6. What about what Romans 6 says? Romans 6, 11, and a lot of that chapter says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, so how does this relate? So in chapter 6, Paul is telling us that we must be dead to sin. And then in chapter 7, he's telling us he doesn't do what he should. And instead he does what he knows not to do because of sin that dwells within him sin that dwells within us. So, if we are dead to sin, why then this battle? 
Why this conflict, right? If Romans 6 says, well, actually, we're dead to sin, and then Romans 7 says, well, actually, you have this sin that dwells within you, and it causes you to do the very thing you don't want, and instead do the thing, you know, do the thing that you don't want, and that's the thing that you're ending up doing, even as much as you're trying to avoid it. So stay with me on this because I think this is critically important since we all go through this. It's important that we understand it biblically and that we don't explain what's happening just experientially. It makes sense to us, but it actually doesn't align with what the scripture teaches. Romans 6 tells us that through Christ and the gospel, we've all died to the authority of sin over us. Sin is no longer our master is what he's saying. But Romans 7 tells us that we must battle the influence of sin daily. And that influence is the product of indwelling sin, which is the product or connected to our original sin, which came to us from Adam. Romans 6 tells us the battle is won, Christ won it. Praise God, right? We sing about it, we testify to it. Romans 7 tells us you have to walk in that victory by faith every day. So let me try to illustrate this, knowing my illustration has its limits. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking, since Paul wrote this, how many pastors tried to illustrate this and just failed miserably? So why should I try? So I say that to set up my potential failure, knowing that many have gone before me. But I I do want to try to explain this in a way that I hope helps to make sense and doesn't actually in any way uh, uh, take the scripture and and, and twist it, because I don't want to do that. You know that. But imagine an, imagine an intruder and, uh, and his family kind of comes into your home and decides to just take up residence in your house. You know, like you come home from work and you come into your house and there's some guy there and his family and they're watching TV and they're eating your food and you're like, what in the world are you doing here? Like, are you in the right place? You know, do you know that I live here? Um, are you lost? And you're kind of like, what is this person do here and you have a choice to make in that moment. Are you going, what are you going to do about it? Right. You're just going to kind of put your keys away, do what you normally do and act like they're not there. That's probably not wise. Right. Or are you going to respond? Are you going to do something? You see, they are residing in your home, but your home is not their residence. So don't act like it is their home. So when they start moving your furniture around and moving their stuff in, they pull up a truck and stuff starts coming in to your house, you shouldn't like throw up your arms in the air, have a family meeting in the kitchen and say, well, it looks like kids, it looks like we got to, you know, you know, spread out a little bit and, you know, come together because we got a new family coming in. Like you don't, you don't just do that. It's, you don't just, you don't just say, well, it's theirs now. You recognize, no, it's your home. It's given to you by your father and you can appeal to your authority to have them removed because they have no power over you unless you give them that power. 
Because that is your home and the authority and the ownership and the deed is yours, given to you by your father. But if you act like they have authority, then you have given it to them. And in the same way, again, and I understand the limitations of, of, of that illustration, but I think in many ways that's how we, what we do with, with sin. Sin is there, and we just say, well, it's, you know, I, just, you know I, I know that I have victory here, and I know that Christ has won it, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of let it, let it live here. And, and what we're, we're not supposed to do that. We're, we're supposed to recognize it for what it is and remove it, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Fourth part is that indwelling sin seeks to take the members of our mind and body captive. Look at verse 23 of Romans 7. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul acknowledges that this sin that indwells him, it seeks to take captive the members of his mind and his body and it seeks to use the members of our mind, our body, to, to, he seeks to take those members and enslave them to sin. This is what sin is seeking to do in you, to enslave the members of your body, the, your mind, your heart. And, it, and, it, and sin wants to be the master and say, this is, what, this is how you will act. This is what you will say. This is what you will put in front of your eyes. This is what you will put in your mouth. This is the things you will do because I am master. But sin is not master. That's what Romans 6 tells us. And Romans 7 doesn't make Romans 6 untrue. It, it's just we need to understand it biblically. But we need to understand what indwelling sin is and what it's trying to do. Because I think if we do that, we'll be more aggressive with it. Which is what we need to be. So if this gives you, hopefully, an idea, a better idea of what indwelling sin is and what its, what its nature is like, what then should our response be? to indwelling sin? How should we respond to it? Because taking the time to understand what it is, is important so that we can learn also how to respond to it in, in appropriate ways, biblically, appropriate ways. So how to respond to indwelling sin? As regenerated believers, we must be engaged in spiritual warfare, actively seeking to kill or mortify indwelling sin. So regenerated believers, that's just a way, a, a way to speak biblically about a saved person, a born again person, someone who is tr- a true believer. You've been, the Holy Spirit has made you alive in Christ that is regenerated because you were dead. And if that's the case, we must be engaged in spiritual Warfare, And then we see again, Romans six, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the, what, what is the response to that? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This is, this is the reference here 
to the fact that we all have this indwelling sin that is seeking to reign and seeking to make everything about our lives obey its passions. But we must be engaged in spiritual warfare. If indwelling sin is a real thing, which which it is, and if Romans 6 is true, which it is, then the only conclusion we can come to is that we have to be actively seeking to mortify, as the Puritans said, kill the indwelling sin within us. You don't make peace with indwelling sin. You do not make peace with it. You don't make peace with an intruder in your home. You get them out. And this making peace with indwelling sin is what sin is seeking because it wants room. It wants, it wants to be able to do what it is that it, that it needs to in your life for it to be your master. So, so to not make peace with it means you, you, ha- you can't make excuses for it and you, and you can't redefine it. You can't make excuses and you can't redefine it. And this is what our culture is seeking to do. This is why we need to talk about it because you are inundated in the culture with, with redefinitions and making peace with sin. But what the scripture is telling you to do is recognize that the sin in you seeks actually to destroy you. And so you're on a mission to kill it. So how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you kill? How do you mortify indwelling sin? Well, we must battle sin at its root, declaring war on sinful desires and thoughts in our hearts and our minds. And I have Galatians 5.24 there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with what? Passions and desires. This is where I think many of us are losing the battle with sin. Is we're, we're fighting on, a, on, the, on the wrong front. We're, we're giving ground where we shouldn't. And then we're wondering why other things are happening. If you are allowing sinful desires, now I'm talking about desire and thoughts. If you're allowing those desires and thoughts to live freely in your heart, to live freely in your mind, you need to understand that is sin. In other words, if, if you're saying, well, no, pastor, you don't understand. I didn't act on it. It's not enough to avoid the behavior. We, we must be at war with the desire, with the thought, with the sinful motive. That's, that's what Galatians 5.24 is saying. It's not just saying crucify your behaviors or your actions. It's saying with the flesh, the passions and the desires of the sinful nature need to be crucified. And isn't it interesting that Galatians 5.24 comes after 22 and 23? Because that's how numbers work, right? 22, 23, 24, 
right? But 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is, right? So the fruit of the spirit is, and then 24, and those who belong to Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, this is what they do. Because this is what the spirit of God is going to do to sinful passions and desires and to exhibit fruit of the spirit in the way that the spirit wants the fruit to be exhibited, these kinds of desires must die. And our culture is advertising the very opposite of this every day. They say, make peace with your sinful desires. It's who you are, right? It's who you are. Just be who you are. Just be you. But what we're learning biblically as a Christian, if these desires and these passions are not in line with scripture, then Paul tells us in Romans 7, it's not you, it's indwelling sin within you, right? Isn't that what he said? If I, if I want that, it's not, it's not me who wants it, it's the, it's the sin within me. It's not, it's not the spirit in me for sure. And so those, the indwelling sin needs to be killed by dealing with it at a different area of the battlefield. And I think for a lot of us, what we've done is, is we've, we've shifted where, where the line, the battle lines are. We've retreated and said, you can have this. I'm just going to stop here. As long as I don't cross this line, I'm good. And because of that, we're failing. If you're battling anger and you're battling the, the loss of temper, of your temper, and you say, hey, you know, I really could have lost it there, but I didn't. I held my tongue. But if you could have known what I was thinking and what I wanted to do to that person. But hey, I didn't say anything. You might say, okay, that's good that you didn't act on that. That's very good. Like, I'm glad you didn't. But if that's where you stop, if that's where you say, okay, Satan knows how he can use that desire in you to bring that out. What you need to do is recognize that the thoughts, what you're thinking about that person, what you would like to do about that person is sin and it needs to be confessed and crucified. And now you're changing the battle line because that's the root of the problem. That's where the behavior is coming from. Sinful thoughts and desires that are allowed to just freely live will manifest in behavior at some point. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And this is why Jesus said what he did in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he said, if you look on a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart, in your heart, right? Because what he's, he's, he's not addressing the behavior, He's addressing the sinful motive, the sinful desire. That's what needs to be addressed. Then he said also, he said, you heard that you shall not murder, which is a good thing, right? Don't murder. But if you're angry with your brother, he said, you're going to be liable to judgment. In other words, 
We can't, we can't give ground here and, and just say, well, at least I didn't hit him. You know, well, that's a good thing that you didn't do that. But if you don't deal with the thoughts and the desires and submit them before God, you might one day. Jesus is not focusing on behavior. He's focusing on indwelling sin, sin that needs to be battled and killed at the source. And the source is the heart and the mind. This is where we need to do battle. Behaviors, they may have more significant consequences. And typically they do have more significant consequences than just desires and thoughts. But as Christians, as, as again, uh, believers indwelled, uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we, we must confess those and say, I can't, Lord, help me. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to think that way about my brother in Christ. I don't want to think this way about my sister in Christ. And the fact that I am thinking this way and the fact that I drive in my car and as I'm driving, I continue to think and I play it out and I say all these things in my mind. Nobody hears me. I'm not acting on it. But the fact that I'm doing all of these things and not saying, God, forgive me, we're giving room already is what I'm saying. And so when a believer is battling sin in the mind and in the heart, what you're doing is you're actively engaged now in identifying and killing this indwelling sin. You are confronting the intruder daily and saying, you have no authority here. I'm not giving you any room. You, have no, you shouldn't be here. You have no authority here. And then you commit that to the Lord because Christ has already won the victory. He is my king. I am his child and I want to submit to him in all things. And this is what, this is what it means to, to, to battle, to kill, to mortify indwelling sin is, is we're fighting it at a different level, on a different front. And God has, praise the Lord, equipped us to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you two final thoughts to consider. The first one is this. A healthy spiritual awareness of our indwelling sin results in each of us being much more concerned with our own sin than we are the sin in others. There's something that happens when this becomes a pattern for you. When you become really aware of the things going on in your own heart and in your own mind, you're a lot less concerned about everybody else because you realize there's stuff going on here that I've got to deal with. And the reality is we each have enough of our own sin to deal with. And this doesn't mean that we don't care what other people do. We do, but, what, what, but we should respond to it in a different way because we know what's in our own hearts. And I think it can help us avoid you know, kind of bonking someone in the head with the plank that's coming out of our eye while we're trying to get the, the speck out of theirs, right? Matthew 7, you know, we're, it'll help us avoid that because we're thinking about, Lord, what is going on here? And the second thing to think about is that ignorance or indifference to our indwelling sin is the beginning of yielding to its control. If you're indifferent to what I'm talking about or, or, or ignorant from the standpoint that, you just don't want to know it. It is the beginning of yielding to it. 
John Owen said that they that find not its power are under its dominion when talking about indwelling sin. If you're not aware that your home has been taken over, it probably means that you've become indifferent with the presence of an intruder in your home. It's not a good thing to become indifferent to. The first defense to indwelling sin is awareness of its presence in you, and you've been given that today. Our problem is not only alien symbiotes. Our problem is indwelling sin. The next step for us is doing battle with it. You've been given ways to do that today. And that, and that battle can only be done in and through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and praise God as believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And this is the battle he wants to fight. He wants to help rid us of, of these kinds of, of, of desires and thoughts. Your heart, your mind, it belongs to God as a believer. It belongs to, to the spirit of God. It's, it's the spirit of God that wants to fill you and then let him kill the sin that dwells within you. Because what happens when you start doing this is you become more sensitive to what's going on in here and in here. And you respond to it more quickly. That's why when Paul wrote, wretched people, wretched man that I am, well, that would apply to us, right? Wretched people that we are. Who will deliver us from this body of death and sin? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. He has won the victory, but we need to walk in it. And again, in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, you have given us your word and it reveals things, Lord, that sometimes it's very hard for us to understand. We need your help. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would continue to reveal your truth to us, even as we're thinking about what we've read, what we've heard. Continue to give us an open heart, an open mind uh, to respond the way that you want us to. Even the things that are difficult to understand, help us to be good uh, students of your word, to not give up, but to ask you to help us understand where we don't. And help us to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God who seeks to fill us and to use us for the glory of God. And in this battle with sin, to submit to him and allow him to, to do the work that he wants to do. Help us. We thank you again for this time and we thank you for your love for us, Lord, and your mercy to us. Talking about this makes us realize just how loving and merciful you are to each one of us. And we're so thankful to you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.